So as well as changing the face of popular science with his engaging books, which are enjoyed by millions, Stephen Hawking spent his life publishing academic papers that unraveled many mysteries of science. Now, up until his death, he continued to search for answers with his final paper, a work with his longtime collaborators, Professors Malcolm Perry and Andy Strominger, on one of the most puzzling problems facing the scientific community today, the information paradox. Having published the paper earlier this month, we're thrilled that Professors Perry and Strominger are here with us today to talk publicly about the paper for the first time. So, Malcolm, Andy, give us a, a, a capsule summary of the paper. Well, I think... The, Three the, minutes. The, the, the <laughs> no to, pressure. Thank you. Um, I think the way to start this is, is to think back to when Stephen discovered uh, that black holes had a temperature, that they radiated, and it would eventually disappear as a result of quantum mechanical processes. Fairly quickly after he discovered this, he realised that there was a conflict between the physics of black holes, as it was then understood, and the laws of quantum mechanics. Black holes would evaporate, but in so doing, lose information, which is something quantum mechanics does not allow. Things rested that way for pretty much half a century, until in 2015, we discovered a sort of flaw in the arguments that led to this conclusion, and discovered that black holes had what we call soft hair. What we've done now is to use the idea of soft hair to shed light on the information paradox, and in particular calculate the entropy of a black hole, a rather central concept uh, who's, who that made it hard to understand what, how to resolve the black hole information paradox. Explaining the entropy is central to making further progress, and that's more or less what we've done. Andy, do you want to add in... I, I've got soft hair as well. Is there some <laughs> link, perhaps? <laughs> it's also soft. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we... Uh, you know, it's a huge problem that uh, Stephen gave to us. Um, it's 100 years now since Schwarzschild discovered the black hole from the Einstein equation. It took 50 years to understand what a black hole was before you started worrying about quantum mechanics. The great man Einstein himself wrote a spectacularly wrong paper <laughs> 25 years after they were discovered, in which he said they don't exist. It's a very complex uh, subject. And then Stephen understood how to put the theory of black holes together with the theory of quantum mechanics. And from that derived a formula which is now on his headstone in Westminster Abbey, which essentially says how many gigabytes there are. You know how many gigabytes there are in your iPhone? His formula says how many gigabytes there are in every black hole that we see up in the sky. And we, our job is to explain this formula. And it was hard to explain because we had been told that black holes were bold, featureless objects. You're um, not quite there yet. <laughs> <laughs> but but, uh, but um, they have on them uh, something that we call, that we discovered just a few years ago that we're very excited about. They have more structure than we thought. 
and this might be where these gigabytes are stored. And, and this so is the hair, the soft. This the is soft the soft hair, hair. right? And this what we're, is what we're very excited about trying to understand in greater and greater in mathematical detail. And this paper, which came out last Tuesday, is a a, a great step in the in that direction. Well, Andy, uh, Malcolm, let's, let's pick that up. There's been quite a lot of excitement about Stephen's final uh, paper. How have you dealt with it? What have you made of it? Well, it's, um, uh, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a part of a much bigger discussion that has been going on for, for 40 years about these things, but it's a new it's a completely new and novel outlook on an old problem that has been discussed over and over again uh, for, f for 40 years. So the way we've dealt with it is to work night and day, uh, working out the equations, talking to people, giving seminars, uh, answering questions, and, uh, and writing more papers uh, as, we, as we just uh, finished How one about this week. How your peers, week. Malcolm? Well, uh, so far, the only thing that's happened is I keep getting asked to go and give seminars in various places. Um, uh, so in the immediate future, in Cambridge on Wednesday, that was a surprise to me. They just simply showed up in my office on Friday and said, can you do it? Uh, and then uh, there's supposed to be an event in Chile uh, in November, and then Vienna in late November, um, Madrid in the middle of December, China in January. I don't know beyond that. Right. So let me just bring Faye into the discussion now, because um, as we've seen, one of Stephen's particular skills was making very tough science accessible and funny. And um, he paved the way for, for many other kind of popularizers. Just tell us, what was, he, what was he like to work with? What was he like as a colleague? Working with Stephen was a lot of fun. And there were, there were definitely jokes and a bit of larking around. <laughs> but I think Stephen's ability to explain complex ideas stemmed from his great intuition. So he was able to place those ideas in a broader picture, and that helped people to understand those ideas. And he was also not dogmatic about his intuition, so he was always prepared to change his mind if you convinced him with a rigorous calculation. And his discovery of black hole, black hole radiation is an example of that. He himself tells the story that he thought the black holes were cold, but it was his own calculations that convinced him that, in fact, they did radiate and were hot. So he was very passionate about education, too, and it really comes through strongly in his last book. And, um, you know, it's kind of evidenced by all those high-performing students of his scattered around the globe. Um, what, what was he like as a teacher exactly? Stephen respected his students intellectually and he involved us in the very centre of whatever he was working on. He was a very confident person. He was very confident in himself, very confident in science and he was confident in us and he fully expected that we would be, that we, we, we would be contributing to knowledge. And so, now that he's gone, what, what in particular do you think the scientific community will miss most of all? We've lost perhaps our most powerful 
advocate for the value and importance of fundamental research in physics and science. But as, a, as the physics community itself, sort of internally, Stephen was a very powerful binding force in that community. So at his large birthday conferences, many people would come <coughs> drawn by love and respect for Stephen from an enormous range of different areas, all touched by his work. So his, his scientific legacy is enormously broad, epically broad, I would say. So they would come, there would be cosmologists, people working on black holes, on gravitational waves, on quantum gravity, on string theory, on foundations of quantum mechanics, on condensed matter theory, on quantum information, and they would all be drawn together by Stephen. And that, that force to bring people, so many people working on so many different things together, is something that we will sadly miss.